<laughs> well, good morning. Thank you for that welcome. I appreciate the opportunity to be here with you today. This is a special day for me. Not just because I get to be with you, but it's a special day because today marks our 41st year in ministry. Marianne and I have been in ministry now for 41 years, and at a time when we thought we were beginning to kind of gear down, kind of aiming toward retirement, God said, not so fast. I want you to keep it in gear. I'm going back to Arizona. We're going to plant a church, and I'm planting a church in the West Valley. Uh, he got very close to the name of the church. He said, Cross Point, really it's Grace Point. But you can call it whatever you want. <laughs> it's, a, it's a church that is aimed at people like me, people who are 55 plus. And I see so many of you in here, so many young faces in this place. Uh, you'll get there one day. Uh, I, I'm, I'm kind of having a tough time dealing with this getting older thing, you know. I haven't done it really well. Um, and I'm learning that there are things that come with getting older. Uh, you know, I used to laugh at them. Now I, I, I have to deal with them. One of the things is I just forget stuff. I mean, I just really do. I just flat forget it. Marianne says you have selective forget, forget, uh, forgetfulness. But I don't think that's true. I think it's just, you know, I'm getting older and, and I forget things. Kind of reminds me of that story of the professor who was just a little bit forgetful. And uh, he got up one morning and he was eating breakfast with a family. And his wife said to him, she said, Now, sweetheart, remember, when you get out of the classroom today... Go to the new house. We're moving to the new house today. Don't come back here because we won't be here. He said, all right, I've got that. So he went on and he taught his classes all day long. And along, along the, the latter part of the day, he began to think, there's something I'm supposed to be remembering, but for the life of me, I can't remember what it is. And so he got out of class and sure enough, he drove to the old homestead. And when he pulled up there, there were some kids playing out in the front yard. So he got out of his car and he walked up to the front door and he looked inside the windows and he could see there was no furniture in there. There were no drapes on the wall. And so he, he spotted one of the kids and he said, Hey, little boy. The little boy said, Yes, sir. He said, uh, Did you know the family that lived in this house? The little boy said, Sure, you bet. Yeah, I know. He said, Do you know where they've moved to? And the little boy looked at him and he said, Boy, Dad, Mom said you'd forget. <laughs> well, well, I'm, I'm having to deal with that, forgetting things. I not only forget things as a, as a human being, I think there are times when I tend to forget things as a believer in Christ. I tend to forget who He is. I tend to forget who I am in Him. I tend to forget what it is my commitment is to be to Him. And whenever I feel the chill of a lessening commitment, there is a passage of Scripture that I can turn to. Romans chapter 1, verses 14 through 16. It's a really an unusual passage of Scripture because here we find Paul sharing his heart. He's writing to a group of people he's never met before. He's never seen them. And he's sharing his heart. He's sharing his life. He's sharing everything about himself to these people. It's an unusual passage of Scripture. Let me read it to you one more time. 
He said, I'm a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am ready to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I'm convinced that this is one of those places in Scripture where we would be allowed to take things out of chronological order and we can find three statements or three hooks on which we can hang our life. I'm a debtor. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm ready. Paul said, I'm a debtor. Do you know what the difference is between a person who gets older and a person who matures in the faith? A lot of people are getting older all the time. But just because they're getting older as Christians doesn't mean that they're becoming more mature in the faith. Those that are maturing in the faith understand that it's not about me. We understand that it's not about me and my wife and my kids, us four, no more. But rather it's about the world out there in front of me. That's what Paul was saying. He was saying, I'm a debtor. Because I know the gospel, I owe it. I owe it to everyone on the face of the earth. I owe it to the wise. I owe it to the unwise. I owe it to everyone. Tell me, what would you think of a physician that would discover the cure for the disease that likely has touched everybody in this room, at least in one way or another, that disease called cancer, and not tell anybody about it. But a thousand times worse than that is the Christian that knows the disease, that knows the cure for that disease that not only kills the body, but kills the soul and keeps it to himself. Can we employ what one writer called sanctified imagination and put ourselves back in that day? That day when Jesus lived. And we can imagine that we're living in that day and that time. And if we can do this, it will help us to understand what being a debtor to Christ really means. While we're standing outside of Jerusalem, it's springtime, much like it is right now. We look and we see the huge walls around the city. And there's a gate. And we see that gate is beginning to open. And we're standing outside. And it's kind of a crossroads, if you will. And there over to the right is a, well, it's a garbage dump. It's a place where they're burning the garbage. And up at the top is a bit of a hill. And we can see there are some soldiers up there on the top of that hill. And as we stand there, out of that gate, out of the city, there begins to come a contingency of people, some soldiers. And in between them are some prisoners, and they're carrying, half-dragging, half-carrying these huge, hideous beams on their back. And as they walk along, the one in the center falls flat on his face. One of the guards comes and kicks him in order to get him up just to see if he's faking, but he can't get up. And so he calls another to come over and help him and to lift up that beam and to help him to get up. And when he does, we understand why he fell. We can look at him and we can see he's been scourged. You know what a scourge is. A scourge was a whip with a stock on it about 18 inches in length 
with anywhere from six to nine leather lashes. And at the end of those lashes, there was a piece of bone or a piece of metal or something rather, rather sharp. And, uh, and the, the, the Roman soldier would lash it out and that bone or that rock would lock into the skin and then he'd pull it back. This man's been scourged. Some theologians think that he was scourged twice. And then we can see that he's got a crown of thorns on his head. And the blood begins to come down into his eyes. And those are strange eyes. I've never seen eyes like that before. Well, they just seem to look right through you. There's not a hint of hatred in those eyes. Just love. Well, they get him up and he begins to go up the hill. And when he gets up to the very top of the hill, they surround him. And we can't see him anymore. But we begin to hear. And we understand that they are driving nails. Eight-inch nails. Into his hands and into his feet. They were just common nails. Nails that could have been used to build a, a building or a bridge. But yet they were used to nail the Son of God to that cross. Hate took those nails and said, These are my nails. And with these nails I'll kill you. But love received those nails. And love said, No, these are my nails. And with these nails I will save you. And they lifted him up and they scooted that cross across the dirt to a hole that had been prepared for it and it dropped in there and there hung Jesus Christ naked, humiliated before all the world. Now I say to you, if Jesus would die that Calvary kind of death, then is it too great for us to say, I'm a debtor? I'm a debtor. Now, if we say I'm a debtor, then the next thing that we say is simple. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can you say that? Can you say I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ when you get outside of this building of great music and fellowship among you and you get out there? Can you say I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Let's use uh, that sanctified imagination once again. And instead of being in Jerusalem, now we're standing outside of Damascus in Syria. And we're looking down a road and we can see the town of Damascus down there. And it has a big wall around it. That's what they did in those days. They built walls around cities. It was just good defense. And so there's a wall around it and we're looking and all of a sudden we notice coming down that road there's this little fella, maybe not much bigger than I am just kind of half running, half jogging down that road. And as he gets a little bit closer, we say, well, that's Saul of Tarshish. <laughs> Saul of Tarshish. Wow. This, this guy's incredible. Why, he could speak ten languages. Some have said that he was the best theological student Gamaliel ever had. He may have very well would have become the next high priest in Jerusalem. Saul of Tarshish. Everybody knew who he was. He comes running down the road and when he gets up to us, we say, Hey Saul, how you doing? He says, Oh, you're not going to believe what happened. He said, I was coming down the road and he said, all of a sudden there was this bright light and it shined in my face and it was Jesus and he came into my life and now I'm going to tell the world about it. We say, Saul, listen, buddy, you better be careful. 
I mean, are you sure you want to do something like that? And Saul would look at us and he'd say, but you don't understand. One day I was walking down the road and something happened and that something was someone and his name's Jesus and he came into my life and I'm going to tell the world about it. And so he goes off and we don't see him for quite a while. And then one day we're over to a place called Lystra. If you've ever been in the Holy Land, that whole area is just like the Sonoran Desert. And you get over by Lystra and it's all rocky and, and dry and arid And you walk down the road and there's a ditch and all of a sudden as we're walking along we notice there's a body in that ditch. Why we get down in the ditch and we turn him over and we begin to rub rub the mud and the blood out of his eyes and all of a sudden those eyes open and there's a twinkle in them. It's Paul. We say, Paul, have you been preaching again? And he goes, oh yeah. He said, I just, but they got really upset with me and he said they, they threw rocks at me. We said, Paul, listen, this, you better stop this stuff. It's dangerous. Why, you've already been beat up. You've already been run out of town. You know, Paul, you could go back to Jerusalem and you could renounce all of this. You could get your old job back. You could get your office back, you know, with the carpet on the floor and the secretaries and all that kind of You could get all that back. He would look at us and he'd say, but you don't understand. One day I was walking down the road and something happened and that something was someone. And his name's Jesus. And he came into my life. I'm telling the world about it. Now, not because Paul was a lawbreaker, but simply because in that day and time, when you were a prisoner of Caesar, you were treated with extreme care. I mean by that, you weren't just put into a jail cell, but you were put into a jail cell inside of a jail cell inside of a jail cell. And you were guarded 24 hours a day by the best crack Praetorian guard that was available to Caesar. And one would be chained to one hand and another guard would be chained to the other hand. And they would be chained to him on eight-hour shifts and they would rotate. Every eight hours a new shift would come on. Now, I got to thinking about that. <laughs> if, if they were chained to Paul and Paul was chained to them, then what do you suppose Paul talked about all the time? <laughs> yeah, it, he did. He told them about Jesus. Scripture says that it began to happen, that, that they became, that believers began to come out of this experience being chained to Paul. It was an incredible thing. Can you imagine the last day in his life? He's in that inner dungeon there and he's chained up. And all of a sudden he hears these heavy footsteps outside of the door there of his cell. And that door opens and there's this big brute of a guard. And he points his finger in Paul's face and he says, You come here with me, little man. Today's your day. And so Paul is unchained. He steps out in the hallway and he sees there's a door down at the end and in just a moment he's going to walk through that door and another guard is going to chop his head off. Paul begins to walk down that hallway. And as he does, while there are prisoners in cells saying, Paul, 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 he says, don't worry about it. I'll see you again. I'll see you again. Don't worry about it. We'll be together again. 
And if we had the opportunity, we'd say, Paul, has it all been worth it? You gave up everything the world calls important. You turned your back on it. You've been beaten. You've been robbed. You've been run out of town. Your family has turned their backs on you. Is it all been worth it? And you know what he'd say to us? He'd say, oh, but you don't understand. One day I was walking down the road and something happened and that something was someone and his name's Jesus and he came into my heart and I've told the world about it. So if we can join Paul in saying, I'm a debtor, and if we can join him in saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's just one more thing for us to say. I'm ready. I'm ready. In 1994, I was pastoring in Oklahoma, Chuck's home church, your pastor's home church. And I met a missionary, a real live Southern Baptist missionary. And her name was Josephine Skaggs. Maybe some of you who are older have heard about her. Miss Skaggs came to our church to speak and she told her story. And as she told her story, it seems that when she was a young girl, about 12 or 13 years of age, she gave her heart to Jesus Christ. The Lord came into her life and the change was immediate and apparent. And it wasn't long after that that she sensed that God was calling her to ministry. And so she committed her life to ministry. Now she was a poor Oklahoma farm girl. Her parents didn't have any money. And when she finished high school, she couldn't go to college. And so her pastor had a good friend, and that good friend was the president of the University of Arkansas. And so he called his good friend, and he said, there's a girl in our church that needs to go to college. Can you help her? And he said, you send her to us, and we'll put her through school. And so for the next four years, Josephine Skaggs washed dishes in the school cafeteria. She put herself through college. When she graduated, she applied for mission status with what is now the International Mission Board of Southern Baptist. She was accepted. She became a missionary. She was a missionary to Africa. In fact, along the latter part of her ministry to the African people, the Queen of England bestowed upon her the highest honor that can be bestowed on any person who's not a member of the British Commonwealth. Well, one day, she and some other missionaries were at a place called Joe If you know anything about Nigeria, Joe is not where people want to live. It's on the back side of nowhere. It's where people just did not want to go, and she went there with some other missionaries. And honestly, she saw stuff there that broke her heart. She saw... Men and women that would die before the age of 30 because they simply didn't know how to take care of themselves. She saw women who would give birth to twins, they would throw one of the babies in the river because they didn't want to offend the river God. He might overflow their city. And these things just broke her heart. And so she went back to the International Mission Board and she said, I want to be appointed to Joe and Krama. I want to be a missionary to Joe and Krama. And they said, no, Josephine, that's not a job for a woman. That's a job for a man. 
And she said, I don't know anything about that. I just know God's moved in my heart and I want to be a missionary to Joe and Krama. And so they said, okay. And so she packed everything that she had and she made preparation to go there. They went in by boat as far as they could go, but then they came to a place where the water ended and she needed to walk the rest of the way, another 12 or 13 miles, with a pack on her back, everything she owned on her back. She got into Joe and Krama in the afternoon and she found an old miner's hut, a Quonset hut. And it was deserted and so she got into it and she found an old broom and she swept it out. She set up her cot and she made that all ready and she set up her lamp and she made herself some uh, something to eat and it was dark and she crawled in under the mosquito netting there to go to sleep and Miss Skagg said all night long rats bigger than any you and I see here in the United States crawled all over that mosquito netting trying to get into that little girl. <laughs> And there she was, in the middle of Africa, with all of its paganism, with all of its superstition, with all of its rats, and Jesus. And today, people don't die anymore before the age of 30 because there's a hospital there. And that hospital is there, all because that one little girl said, I'm ready. And today, there are churches, there's a church here, and there's a church here, and there's a church here. And the missionaries say the sweetest music this side of heaven can be heard coming out of those churches. And those churches are there, all because one little girl said, I'm ready. And there's a seminary there. And Nigerian people, men and women can go to that seminary, and they can be trained, and they can be sent out across that nation, and they can speak for Jesus Christ, and that seminary is there, all because one little girl said, I'm ready. You know, there's no telling what God could do with you if you just say, I'm ready. Somebody said... We live our Christian lives so subnormally that if we were ever to live normally, everybody would think we're abnormal. Normal Christianity says, I'm a debtor. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm ready. The old hymn says, take up thy cross and follow me. I heard my master say, I gave my life to ransom thee. Surrender your all today. He drew me closer to His side and I sought His will to know. And in that will, I now abide. Wherever He leads, I'll go. Why, it may be through the shadows dim or o'er the stormy sea, but I'll take my cross, I'll follow Him. Wherever He leads me. My heart, my life, my all I bring to Christ who loves me so. He's my Master, my Lord. My king, wherever he leads, I'll go. I'm a debtor. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And 